Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What up, Cavs Nation? I'm your host, Ethan Sands, and I'm back with another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I'm joined by your favorite beat reporter, Chris Fedor. What up, Chris? Ethan, what's going on, man? How are you? Man, I am excited, not only because of what we have to share, but because of where the state of the league is not only talking about the NBA, but I'm talking about the NFL, I'm talking about the MLB. It feels like we are in the start of a new era in all of these leagues. It feels like everybody is coming into their own, and I think we cannot start that conversation without discussing Evan Mobley, who is a unicorn and has the chance to come back very soon. Chris, you wrote a story about this earlier today. Can you tell us a little bit more about what's going on with Evan and what could happen in the next couple of days? Yeah, my sources tell me that he is trending toward a return tomorrow against the Los Angeles Clippers, actually. So everything's dependent on how he responds. Everything's dependent on how he gets through other workouts. But he was upgraded from out to questionable on the official injury report. And Evan wants to play. The Cavs don't feel like they're rushing him back. He has progressed every step of the way during this recovery process. His knee has responded well to increased physical activity. They're obviously going to have him, my sources tell me, on a minute limit, probably right around the low 20s in that particular range. But Evan feels really, really good. Tomorrow is going to be six weeks to the day since he had that arthroscopic knee surgery. And it's a remarkable recovery if you think about it. And he is somebody who in the past has talked about being a fast healer. He prides himself on beating timelines. He's been able to do it basically every time he's had any kind of injury. This was the most significant one that he has had throughout the course of his basketball playing career. And it appears that he is as ready to go as he wants to be to make this return. And as I said, my sources tell me it's probably going to happen tomorrow against Los Angeles Clippers. Yeah, Chris, I don't know if Evan Mobley has a nickname around the NBA yet, but with his quick return, the Wolverine might be a, uh, (laughs) might be a push. So might have to see how that lands tomorrow at practice. But I think Evan Mobley coming back six weeks after a surgery, and we're talking about surgery, the same kind of surgery, arthroscopic, that Ty Jerome had on his ankle 
we'll have to see how he responds not only to practice but also in an in-game scenario but there is a lot that comes with playing at the tempo of an NBA game. There's the physicality. Of course, there's also the speed of which somebody has to play. So people might ask, why only 20 minutes? The 20 minutes is allowing him not only to get back into the flow of things, but it's also allowing him to get a feel for what players might bring. And especially against a team like the Clippers, who have Paul George, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Kawhi Leonard, and a plethora of other players that can make an impact as well. He'll get a feel for everything. And that also allows for the Cavs to get back into the rhythm of having him on the floor. The Cavs have gotten used to a scheme with four shooters and Jared Allen as the five. Now they will more than likely, if Evan Mobley does make his return tomorrow, have that Jared Allen and Evan Mobley front court and see where that lies. So, Chris, where do you think the changes might come on the defensive end and especially on the offensive end with those two powerhouses in the front court? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a slow integration process. I don't think the Cavs are going to overdo it when it comes to Evan. I don't think all of a sudden, just because he's healthy enough to play basketball and his knee feels good enough that like all of a sudden they're going to give him the highest usage rate on the team, and they're going to give him the same number of touches per game that he got earlier in the season before he went down with this injury. Like I just think it's something where they're going to allow him to work himself back into it. He's not, I don't think, going to be a focal point of the offense immediately. I still think it's going to be a share of the wealth type system. I still think Donovan Mitchell is obviously going to be heavily involved. I do think Jared Allen is going to be heavily involved as well, but this is obviously a boost to the Cavs defense and this gives them another option of a different lineup to go to. If they want to play with the two bigs for a majority of the game, then it's something that they can do, especially when Evan gets off of his minute restriction down the road. So I think having as many options as as the Cavs do is going to be a benefit to them. I think having as much diversity, both offensively and defensively, is going to be a benefit to them too. And I think it's just about blending the things that make Evan special into the things that make the Cavs offense special over the last month, month and a half of this season. Yeah, Chris. And I think a lot of people are asking, how on earth is Darius Garland not coming back before Evan Mobley. And I want to give the background that while Evan Mobley and Darius Garland have been working together, Evan Mobley was on this past road trip getting working with the players, with the team, while Darius Garland was at home in Cleveland getting work in, trying to increase his endurance, trying to increase his intake of protein and all of those things, especially after he had the wire in his mouth with his fractured jaw to basically not be able to consume anything without a blender. So it's very interesting to see how this transition has happened, especially with Evan making a six-week return rather than an eight-week return and how the offense and the defense is going to respond. I think, honestly, the Cavs are better off getting a better insight with Evan coming back first because 
you get to see how this offense and defense is going to react with the double big man, especially with how they've been shooting the ball as of late. I mean, to a point, again, Evan is going to be limited, and his bursts that he's actually going to be out there on the court are probably going to be short. I don't know what JB has planned, obviously. It's something that he's going to have to figure out for himself. What kind of looks does he want? What's the matchup call for? What's the game flow call for? All those different things are are up to JB, and and that's part of his responsibility when it comes to reintegrating Evan and when this team gets to full strength, like figuring all those kinds of things out. But it seems to me that he's probably just going to get short five-minute or so bursts, and that's not giving you everything that you're looking for from an answer standpoint about how this team is going to function when Evan is out there next to Jarrett, when Evan is replacing a shooter the way that the Cavs have been using over the last month, month and a half. So I think it's going to be hard to form definitive conclusions or make any kind of declarations about what's going to work, what's not going to work in the early going of this. And beyond that, my sources tell me that Darius Garland is not far behind Evan in terms of his recovery. But I think you bring up the point, and it's a good one, like Darius was set for reevaluation at the four-week mark. That didn't mean that he was going to be back at the four-week mark. And part of that reevaluation was, okay, where is your weight? Where is your conditioning level? How much time do you feel like you need potentially to get ramped up? How much practice time is available to us? And are you ready to go back on a practice floor? All those different things were working against Darius, obviously, in terms of the timing. And for four straight weeks, he wasn't able to do anything, Ethan, that could get his heart rate up. So he wasn't able to do Versa Climber. He wasn't able to go on on on-court workouts. He wasn't able to do anything on the treadmill. And like, yeah, Evan had knee surgery. And he was on crutches for a little bit after that. But once he was able to resume basketball-related activities, he was able to dribble. He was able to shoot. He was able to do a little bit of running here and there. He was able to do the on-court workout stuff that Darius was not permitted to do based on the doctors and him not being able to get his heart rate up. So I think everybody has to take that into account when talking about the timeline. In saying all of that, this is credit to Evan. And the way that he approached this rehab, the mentality that he took the whole time, the positivity that he had, and just how much he works his butt off. He hates missing games. It's something that he has talked about multiple times over the last, uh, I don't know, couple of years. Every time he's been sidelined with any kind of injury, whether it was his elbow, whether it was this knee thing, it has been painful for him to just sit on the bench and watch. But he took a positive attitude towards his rehab. He took the right mentality toward his rehab, and he attacked it the way that you would expect somebody like Evan to attack it. And he deserves all the credit in the world, along with the Cavs training staff, to get him to this point where he feels like he's ready to return to basketball. Yeah, Chris, and I don't think that takes away from Darius Garland's recovery at all. For fans, I don't think regular people, Gen Pop is what we used to call them in high school when there were people that didn't play sports like this is literally people that don't play at a competitive level on a daily basis like Darius Garland had to drink from a straw for multiple weeks I don't know if a regular person who's not gone on a cleanse diet or a smoothie diet or whatever they may call it has gone through the process of I have to 
Not because I want to, not because I want to lose weight, not because I want to do these things. I have to drink from a straw and try and get back to the same, not even Division One level caliber player. I need to get back to a professional and an all-star level caliber for not only for myself to feel like I'm at the top shape that I was, but for the fans that have already been thinking that, oh, we should trade Darius. He's been gone for a while. Donovan's been playing well without him, yada, yada, yada. Like, no, Darius has been gone working his butt off trying to get back to make sure he's at the same level, if not better, than he was when he left. And as we've spoken of before, Chris, like, Darius was very much upset about having to leave the game at the point where he was because he was finally starting to get comfortable in the rotation. And you could see... And he was feeling like he was getting into more of a rhythm. And he felt like as good as he had from a physical standpoint and a mental standpoint at any point in the season because he felt like a lot of those nagging injuries were behind him. It's just the Cavs at that point, Ethan, were still trying to figure things out within themselves. And they were riding a three-game losing streak at that time. So I don't know that they were necessarily turning a corner yet. Darius was feeling like this team, especially with the games that were coming up, like we said, they had a favorable schedule coming up. We're going to be able to excel with the caliber of talent that they had already on the roster. But they were able to show the league that even without 40% of their starting lineup, even without two of their star players, that they are able to hold their own in this league. I mean, we talked about earlier in the podcast of multiple other podcasts that we didn't know if they were going to be able to get three wins over the rest of the month. We're already there. So it's a testament to what this team has been able to do over this stretch, but it's also trying to see how successful they can be in a vigorous Eastern Conference. December 15th was a tough day for the organization. That was the day that it was announced that Evan Mobley and Darius Garland were both going to be out for an extended stretch. You could tell like how that impacted the organization. At the same time, JB said there were two different ways that this could go. And then there's always two different ways that these things can go. Injuries, adversity can galvanize a group or injury adversity can break them apart. And instead of taking a woe is me attitude and looking at what the Cavs didn't have on the court, all of the players rallied together and said, hey, look, I got to do a little bit more. And for somebody like Sam Merrill, somebody like Dean Wade, they were looking at the situation saying, hey, this is a bigger opportunity for me. Let's see if I can capitalize on this. And if I do capitalize on that, it's going to earn me a little bit more trust within the organization. It's going to be an opportunity to earn more trust within the coaching staff. Sam Merrill stepped up. Dean Wade stepped up. George Niang stepped up. Jared Allen. Donovan Mitchell. So it was a really, really important situation that the Cavs were put into. They handled it the way that you would expect a playoff contending team to handle it. And I give them a whole lot of credit for that. Because we've seen in the past where injuries can derail a team completely. And the Cavs and J.B. Bickerstaff and the entire organization, they did not let that happen. Now it's about trying to get close to full strength seeing if they can reintegrate these guys and seeing if they can take all of the positive things that each individual player does 
and work those with this offense that they have found, this style that they have found. And now it's going to be up to J.P. Bickerstaff to manage when he's got 11, 12 guys that are probably worthy of playing time based on what we have seen over the last month, month and a half of the season. He's going to have to figure out a way to keep everybody happy, everybody engaged, and everybody ready, despite the fact that playing time might be difficult to come by. And despite the fact that some guys who have been key parts of this recent stretch are not going to get the same opportunities in terms of shot attempts and in terms of minutes per game that they have gotten. I think it's about time that we take a break. And before we do, I got to put our subscribers on to something new. For our listeners, if you like food and drinks, and who doesn't, Cleveland.com is breaking new ground with our lively new podcast about dining and drinking in the greater Cleveland area. The hosts talk about the latest foodie happenings, joined by the most in-the-know experts in town. It's called Dine, Drink, C-L-E, and you can find it anywhere you download podcasts. Give it a listen and quench your thirst and feed that appetite. When we come back to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast, we're going to discuss how the games are growing around the world. But before then, become a Cavs insider and interact with me and Chris by subscribing to Subtext. Sign up for a 14-day free trial or visit cleveland.com backslash Cavs and click on the blue bar at the top of the page. Chris, give us some insider information on why people should subscribe to subtext. Well, Ethan, it's just a way for people to get the information that I don't always post on Twitter. That's what it comes down to, or X, whatever you want to call it these days. Not everything that I know, not everything that I see, not everything that I hear is going to make it to X because they don't pay the bills. So I save that stuff for the Cavs insiders on subtext. For example, during the road trip, We were with the team for nine, 10 straight days. I was seeing things at practice. I was seeing things at shoot around. I was updating people on where Evan Mobley was at in terms of his recovery, the things that he was able to do behind the scenes, the things that he was talking to the training staff about, all that kind of stuff was put on to subtext. Just like the day that the Cavs practiced at Marquette University, and that was the first time that Evan was a full participant and took full contact. That was something that Cavs insiders got. So the news about Evan trending toward his return Monday night against the Clippers is probably not a surprise to my Cavs insiders because they've been getting all of that behind the scenes stuff. And the same thing when it comes to Darius Garland, the same thing when it comes to Ty Jerome. So if you want that kind of stuff, that kind of information on top of the analysis that I provide and that Ethan provides as the games are going on and make it more like a family community and just have a conversation with us about the Cavs because you love the Cavs so much. That's the only place that it is going to happen on subtext. If you don't like it, that's fine. All you have to do is text the word stop. It's easy, but we can tell you that the people who sign up stick around because this is the best way to get insider coverage on the Cavs from Chris and myself. We'll be right back. All right, Chris, we're back. We talked about Evan Mobley and his potential return already in this podcast, but I wanted to touch on how the game is growing. 
We've seen a 73 game from Luka Doncic, 62 and 62 from Devin Booker and Carl Anthony Towns in a loss. And we also saw 70 points from Joel Embiid. It feels like the NBA is growing on the offensive end, and we've seen it coming for a couple of years. But I'm also noticing, like, in the NFL, like we saw today, today is Sunday, we're recording this after the Ravens and the Chiefs games, and also the Lions and the 49ers games. It's felt like we are turning a corner when it comes to player development you think about Lamar Jackson you think about Patrick Mahomes you think about Brock Purdy you think about Luka Doncic as I mentioned earlier it's all of these players regardless of the sport being able to step up in prime time and be able to play at a high caliber Chris how do you examine not only basketball but the entire world when it comes to sports as of now well everybody wants offense and I think these major sports leagues are, are giving the fans what ultimately they want. The rules are playing into offense having an advantage. I mean, if you just think about the NBA, hand checking is not allowed and defense of three seconds is a violation. So it just gives more freedom to the offense. There are more limitations on what a defense can do and how great a defense can be. So I just think... These 60, 70, we might even have 80 point game at some point this year. Like it doesn't diminish how skilled these guys are, how talented they are and how talented they're coming into the NBA at. Like, look at Wemby. Are you kidding me? The things that he's doing, like they don't even make sense. Chet Holmgren. I mean, the things that he's doing offensively and defensively, they don't really make sense. Like seven footers that can move like that, that can shoot like that, that have that much skill. It's a credit to player development, obviously. It's the way that the game is going. It's the way that these guys are learning early in their careers and some of the skills that they're trying to work on as their career progresses. So you can't diminish the skill of these guys. But like, <laughs> you know how we went through the juiced ball era? of Major League Baseball, like when home runs were up and it was about more offense, like this feels as if it's the juiced ball era of the NBA. And J.B. Bickerstaff has talked about this and other coaches around the NBA, they've talked about this. They've had to change their thinking entirely about what is good defense nowadays because the rules are set up in favor of the offensive players. And these offensive players are capitalizing on those on a daily basis. Yeah, Chris, and you mentioned the juice ball era. Like, we think of Mark McGuire and Barry Griffey, Bonds. Sammy Sosa, Barry Sammy Bonds. Sosa, like, yep. Yeah, it, it, these guys are prolific players, but because of the era that they played in, they don't get the same respect. And I feel like a lot of the NBA right now is based on era. And obviously, we're entering a new one. Like, LeBron James is the pinnacle. We saw last night, this past weekend, that Stephen Curry and LeBron James, two of the most prolific athletes in the sport of basketball, went head-to-head, and LeBron James recorded a 30-point triple-double. We're not going to be able to watch this for much longer. Like, LeBron James talks about wanting to play with his sons. Bryce James is still in high school. Stephen Curry is on his wits end with the Warriors. This felt like one of the last most highly contested games between these two stars. And 
I wanted to take a second to recognize what we've been able to witness for the past multiple years. Like, this isn't something that you just get to watch on a daily basis and take for granted. And obviously, fans have done that for a long period of time. I don't think anyone's taking it for granted. I honestly do. I think the fans that have disrespected LeBron James in his career and saying that he is not done enough to be considered in a different caliber than Michael Jordan. Sure, we don't even have to talk about the GOAT conversation, but I don't think there are a lot of people that take advantage of the situations that we are in. Like, you sit at the games and you might witness greatness and you don't know it's the last time you see somebody play. That's why I think I take it for a higher premium than some people do. So I don't know, like, I think you and I might have a more appreciation than some fans do because we realize the greatness of each player, even if they aren't at the highest caliber or even if they aren't in the conversations or even if we have debates about what they could or could not have done. I don't know, man. Like, I feel like LeBron James is pretty damn appreciated. Everybody, well, the majority of people around the NBA that watch the NBA will consider him the best player or the second best player of all time. He just, once again, is now starting the All-Star game, despite the fact that he is close to 40 years old, despite the fact that he's had two plus decades in the NBA. Like if he wasn't getting that level of recognition, if he wasn't getting that level of appreciation, he wouldn't be starting the All-Star game once again. And, and people would be trying to diminish like where he stands in terms of the legends of the game. And when it comes to Steph Curry, I think the majority of people that watch the NBA have labeled him the greatest shooter of all time. So I mean, like I do think people in general, are appreciating all of these guys. And I think they do understand that what both of them are doing at this stage of their career is almost unprecedented, especially LeBron. Like, to have this level of dominance for this long of a period of time, I think there's a recognition of how impressive that is. I think there's a recognition of how rare that is. I just don't see evidence that people are taking LeBron for granted or disrespecting his game in any sort of way. I guess maybe I do too much scrolling on social media. That might be what it is, because I've definitely seen a lot of people doing that. But there is going to be a time and place where we are not talking about LeBron James or Stephen Curry in a game. And you look at these players that we have that are 25 and under at Luka Doncic, Anthony Edwards, Tyrese Halliburton, John Morant. Kay Cunningham, Zion Williamson, Darius Garland. Like, these are players that are taking over the Darius league. Darius Garland? Like, you really just like, tossed Darius in there? No, I no, snuck no. him in, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Way too much. Let's start with Jason Tatum. Let's start with Joel Embiid. Let's go with those guys before we even think about somebody like Darius Garland. Yeah, well, I'm talking about South 25, under 25. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's about time that we recognize exactly where we are in this day and age of every sport. Because I feel like even when it comes to baseball, like Mike Trout, Aaron Judge, those guys are high caliber players, but you don't know how long they have in the league. Shohei Otani and the Dodgers about to take that over. and. 
We'll see how that goes. But you think about the NBA and how much these players that are coming up have impacted the league already, and it's astronomical. Like, we haven't seen a player like Luka Doncic yet. Like, you look at the records that are being set, and almost every time it's like, oh, it's Luka Doncic, LeBron, and Michael Jordan. Like, huh? <laughs> and then Jokic. And Jokic, yeah. And, and Jokic with the triple doubles and the only player that I, and I know we had this argument earlier on the podcast, uh, on different podcasts, but Russell Westbrook being able to put those kind of numbers up. And obviously you say he's chasing stats. I say he was able to get the stats. Either way, I am excited about where we are in the league and where this league is going, Chris. How about you? But I think if you think about last night, Ethan, and it was Lakers, Warriors, and yes, both the teams are underachieving based on previous standards, based on expectations coming into this year. I mean, right now, the Golden State Warriors aren't even in the play-in mix in the Western Conference. They're outside the top 10 in the West, and the Lakers are just barely above 500. They're in the nine seed out West. But if something that we could take away from last night with Steph, LeBron, the duel between the Lakers and the Warriors, it's that those two guys are still playing at such an extremely high level that, yeah, like maybe other guys around the league have bypassed them in the hierarchy. It happens all the time. You have to acknowledge when there are other guys that have bypassed, and that's fine. But it looked like last night, Steph and LeBron playing at such a high level that they're not ready to vacate the stage yet. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're not ready to just pass the torch to Embiid and Jokic and Giannis and Jason Tatum and Shea Gilgis-Alexander and some of these other guys that you want to talk about. Sure, if you're doing a ranking system in the NBA, the top players overall Like, LeBron's no longer going to be number one, but he can still impact games. He can still impact playoff series, potentially. He can still do incredible things that remind you of his greatness and his sustained excellence. And Steph and LeBron put on a show that everybody wanted to watch, everybody wanted to be a part of, everybody was talking about. And that just shows the reach that they still have and the greatness that they're still showing at this stage of their careers. I think that is one of the more exciting things to me, is when you have guys later in their careers playing at this kind of level and trying to hold off the young up-and-comers as much as they possibly can. All right, Chris. I've had a kind of wild take kind of episode. What do you think about the possibility we've talked about LeBron wanted to play with Bronny. We talked about him wanting to play with Bryce, his two younger sons, of him joining up with Steph before his career ends. No, I just don't see that happening. Where's that going to happen at? Shoot, I don't know. To me, if, if LeBron doesn't finish his career in Los Angeles, then it means he's coming back to Cleveland to bookend it that way. I just think Steph, yes. He is still extremely competitive. There are a bunch of things that Golden State has to figure out with their roster moving forward. But I just, 
it feels like Steph is a Golden State lifer. And I feel like they're going to do everything inside that organization, especially given the way that he's playing at such a high level still, making a nightly impact. I feel like Golden State is going to do everything possible to extend the Steph-specific championship window, if they can. Maybe there are no moves that they can go out there and make. But I feel like they're going to try and give him every shot of making his last game ever with the Golden State Warriors. And it's hard for me to see those two rivals teaming up together and another team out there, whoever it may be, having the means and the resources to make that happen. All right, Chris. I appreciate you allowing me to be delusional on today's podcast. With that being said, that'll wrap up today's episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. But remember to become a Cavs insider and interact with Chris and I by subscribing to Subtext. Sign up for a 14-day free trial or visit cleveland.com backslash Cavs and click on the blue bar at the top of the page. Chris, give us some insider information on why people should subscribe to subtext. Well, then it's just a way for people to get the information that I don't always post on Twitter. That's what it comes down to, or X, whatever you want to call it these days. Not everything that I know, not everything that I see, not everything that I hear is going to make it to X because they don't pay the bills. So I save that stuff for the Cavs insiders on subtext. For example, during the road trip, we were with the team for nine, 10 straight days. I was seeing things at practice. I was seeing things at shoot around. I was updating people on where Evan Mobley was at in terms of his recovery, the things that he was able to do behind the scenes, the things that he was talking to the training staff about, all that kind of stuff was put on to subtext. Just like the day that the Cavs practiced at Marquette University, and that was the first time that Evan was a full participant and took full contact, that was something that Cavs insiders got. So the news about Evan trending toward his return Monday night against the Clippers is probably not a surprise to my Cavs insiders because they've been getting all of that behind the scenes stuff. And the same thing when it comes to Darius Garland, the same thing when it comes to Ty Jerome. So if you want that kind of stuff, that kind of information on top of the analysis that I provide and that Ethan provides as the games are going on and make it more like a family community and just have a conversation with us about the Cavs because you love the Cavs so much. That's the only place that it is going to happen on subtext. And if you don't like the information that we are giving to you on an insider basis, that's fine. All you have to do is text the word stop. It's easy, but we can tell you that the people who sign up stick around because this is the best way to get insider coverage on the Cavs from Chris and me. This isn't just our podcast. It's your podcast. And the only way to have your voice heard is through subtext. Y'all be safe. We out.